You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Curtain up, theater people. Welcome to a special series of Your Program is Your Ticket. Coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your Program is Your Ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, Your Program is Your Ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on the show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of my husband and my play, At the Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Now, tonight's show is part five of a special series of interviews for the 2018 Frigid Festival here in New York City. Founded in 2007, Frigid is an open and uncensored theater festival that gives artists an opportunity to let their ingenuity thrive in a venue that values freedom of expression and artistic determination. Now, I recently had the honor of sitting down with a superb, passionate artist within the Frigid Festival to speak with them about their individual shows, their wonderful experience with Frigid Festival, and their overall thoughts on theater itself. My guests on this episode are Casey O'Neill and Greg Moss from The Great Cat Massacre, Maggie Nuttall from Maggie Nuttall, Live from Planet Earth, and Scott Cottill, Charles Hayes IV, Diane Chen, and Gerard James from Mad Cool. With these three terrific shows, we have a musical about a historic real-life event, a solo show of, quote, feminist kinison rage, unquote, that's from the website, and a character study of the intimate world of an interracial couple. Such a wonderful slate of interviews. Now, quick note, as you listen, you may hear some minor differences in the audio. These interviews were recorded at separate times and locations. Not that that takes any of the enjoyment out of the experience of these fabulous artists. Just letting you know in case the sound feels different from one interview to the other. So folks, without further ado, please enjoy interviews with Casey O'Neill and Greg Moss from The Great Cat Massacre, Maggie Nuttall from Maggie Nuttall, Life from Planet Earth, and Scott Cottle, Charles Hayes IV, Diane Chen, and Gerard James from Mad Cool. Folks, please welcome to the show Casey O'Neill and Greg Moss from The Great Cat Massacre. Hi, Casey and Greg, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Hey, thank, thank you, you so much for having us, Sean. Oh, yeah. it's my pleasure. Um, I, I have to tell you, I'm really, really intrigued mm. by the title, The Great Cat Massacre. So <laughs> tell our audiences a little bit about the show. Uh, the Great Cat Massacre uh, is a musical, a trunk show, uh, that depicts an actual historical event in 1730s Paris in which uh, an entire neighborhood thought their cats were possessed by demons and thus proceeded to massacre them. Yeah, it was a totally real thing. It happened in like 1730s Paris, and mm-hmm. these, these two printing press apprentices were they they were worked like dogs, and the cats would wail all night on the roofs because the bourgeoisie would feed them, and so they they went like mad with sleep deprivation. They thought the cats were uh, possessed by witches. Our story does it a little bit different, but that's the real historical context, and um, it was dubbed the Great Cat Massacre by Robert Darnton mm-hmm. in his book. And who who had the idea originally? <laughs> Actually, it was our director. 
um, Morel Martin Cook. She, um, uh, Greg, myself, Morel, our director, and Minwi, our music director, we all went to the graduate musical theater writing program at NYU. Mm-hmm. We were all in the same class, mm-hmm. and we all worked together in some sort of way, and we're all friends. And uh, when Morel and I were getting ready to pitch ideas for our thesis, Morella brought it up because she, I think she studied like French history. She definitely studied French at some point. Yeah. Um, and so she pitched it to me. I thought it was a great idea, but then one day, uh, just before we were about to write a spec song for it, she said, Casey, um, I love cats too much. I can't write this show. So, uh, and at sort of at the same time, she said, and I thought, you should write this with Greg. And I was like, oh my God, Greg is the perfect person to write this show. So. Because I love cats just enough. Like, not too much, but just enough to write a show about them being brutally murdered. <laughs> wow. So... Tell me how much just enough might be. <laughs> um, I'm actually uh, a cat person. Uh, I've grown up more around uh, cats than dogs. Um, but even more than just the uh, the act, the grisly act of murdering cats itself, I think both Casey and I were attracted to the story um, and the comparisons one can make uh, between the social inequality of te- 1730s Paris uh, leading up to uh, the French Revolution uh, in the 1780s and and the uh, wealth inequality and social injustices that are happening now. Um, our show is, uh, we think, uh, very funny, uh, balls to the wall, very body. Um, but we both couldn't help but notice uh, how similar the grievances between these uh, apprentice printers from the 1730s, Paris, uh, are with grievances that people have in 2018 America. Like what? Uh, like, like simply um, the wealthy uh, getting more and more and more uh, wealth and keeping it all to themselves and essentially treating uh, workers as uh, just these uh, almost indentured servants, giving them the bare minimum. Um, yeah. Our two protagonists, Jerome and Levaille, uh really were, they slept on the floor. They were given essentially uh, cat food while the master's cat was given human Gourmet. food. Yeah, food, you know, absolutely. They- they were they were fed far better than most inhabitants of Paris. Yeah, and it was like a symbol of the bourgeoisie at the time that to have these these cats. And I don't know if that's where the term fat cat came from, but it certainly <laughs> draws a good parallel there. Yeah. And how many times do we see something on the news, or even sometimes in in a movie or a TV show, where somebody who is poor is actually eating cat food? In this day and age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That had to come to your mind while you were writing the show. Yeah, yeah. it really, it did. Well, absolutely. And, and part, of, part of this show is like, what will people do when they are pushed to the extremes? And that's essentially what every character in this show makes a decision about. They, they, one character is forced to, to feel like he has to kill these cats to take revenge. Another is forced to plot against someone else. Another one is forced to re... To, to look at his identity and to decide who he is in a different way. Um, and it's just every everyone is sort of pushed to the extremes, to these ridiculous scenarios, which in, in today's day and age, when, when people are just... There's so many people living in poverty. It's like, what are they forced to do in order to survive? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think while our show is is sometimes you know unbelievable in the circumstances, or not the circumstances, but what they'll actually do, it's not that far off from what people may do nowadays. Would you describe it as um, a farce or a satire, or uh, what sort of? If you had to put it into a category of theater, how would you? Where would you place it? I would probably place it more in the uh, farce category. Um, uh, as 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 much as we, you know, did think about these uh, social issues, our show, uh, the a, a major conceit of the show is that it is performed by a troop of players who have the barest um, stage elements and basically props that you, you know, might. Uh, pick up off the street or make yourself to create this entire world um, and to be the cast themselves and to um, create a, for example, a printing press for the uh, our protagonist to use. And so uh, we also want to keep this very uh, high energy, very funny, um, uh, this, this, this very high energy into uh, our show and 
while we point out these uh, social uh, injustices, we also love comedy. And uh, both Casey and I also are huge fans of uh, classic musicals and uh, old Disney shows, um, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. We both grew up on that stuff. Yeah. Excellent. And, and, and while it has a lot of uh, farcical elements, I would actually also say that it has quite a few satirical elements as well. Yeah. Uh, we, we take a, a few jabs. At uh, at the church, and it, cause that, that played a big part in in the life back then and the social injustices then, and it also does today. Um, and so, and then there are a few other parts where we're sort of, I think, making fun of musical theater, making fun of ourselves a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I I would say it. If I had to put it in in some sort of character or category, I usually say it's a it's a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Great. Fair. Um, tell our audiences what a trunk show is, please. A, a trunk show is is basically where you can you can pull everything you need to tell the story out of a trunk, and uh, we do exactly that in this show. There's no there's no backstage. Uh, there's there's no scenery other than the trunk itself, and all of the props and the costumes either come in the trunk or on the players themselves. And they'll they'll all be playing multiple roles throughout the show, as well. Very cool. I bet it's really interesting to watch and and a director's uh, challenge and dream at the same time. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not easy. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But I we've been in rehearsals now for a couple of weeks, and over and over and over again, um, both our director Marilla Martin Cook and our cast have really stepped up and have been so. Uh, extraordinarily funny and creative Mm. and um so often when we encounter a problem with oh you know how are we going to do this immediately somebody will uh come up with a such a wonderful solution to that problem that makes the show that much better yeah and josh israel our choreographer who was uh previously in the show the last time we did it uh right here in this theater uh he he has also really taken to heart this idea of less is more and the fact that we are you know try the 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 players are trying to make the show bigger than it is and the audience is very aware of that and so he he's taken all of that and made this this quirky funny beautiful little show with us that, that I I don't know we were just we were in in stitches last night during rehearsal at, um, for the the one number that happens in um, in Notre Dame, it's just absolutely wonderful what he and Morella have done in terms of staging and finding the trunkiness. Of mm-hmm. It. Mm-hmm. Wow, very high energy. Yes, and almost um, no low energy at all in the show. And I mean that's very much Greg and me. Even, yep. Even maybe in the way that we talk, that one is just right in, and then the next is right in. Uh, our music and our lyrics are kind of like that. A lot of words. <laughs> A lot of words. <laughs> that's terrific. Um, do you either of you have either of you? been to Paris um, mm-hmm. I would assume you have yeah um, I don't say that to insult you no, <laughs> no, no, no I don't know um, uh, uh, sometimes we write about things that we've never been in well obviously you have not been involved in the Great Cat Massacre so um, what do you think about Paris do you like Paris do you enjoy it did was it really helpful having gone there to write it in because you it's in your mind first yes. yeah. yeah yeah um the last time i was in paris i've been to paris a couple of times the last time i was in paris was a few months before uh we started working on this and certainly before i even knew it was a possible musical idea and i think doing this project and thinking about my time in paris it's a beautiful city um it's got this even now in you know 2018 uh or i guess 24 14 when I was last there. It's it's this beautiful city to um, take in and uh, imagining this uh, wonderful uh, city uh, being absolutely upended um, was actually quite... Uh, it was a good inspiration for me, certainly. Um, I, I was there more recently and after we had started writing the piece and I, and I made a point to go visit the printing district, uh, specifically Luz Saint-Severin, 
which is where our show takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually filmed a video walking down it because it's not a very long street um, for Greg that I could send to him when I got back to the hotel. But it, it was helpful, actually, to understand how close that street was to Notre Dame and how it overlooked the Seine. Um, and it, it gave us a little bit more context for how the players are moving in their real lives, what they're seeing, what they're thinking about. Um, it particularly helped us write this one number that um, we've cut from this particular reading, or not reading, production, uh, called Under the Moon, uh, where a certain character, I don't want to give anything away, is uh, sitting, looking at the moon over the Notre Dame as this carnage is happening. Wow. Um, so, well, at least that was the original uh, image that we had when writing this first song, and then it changed a little bit where it happened, but uh, it, it particularly did help that. Um, you know, it's also nice to just go meet French people, hear what they're like, what they say, how it's different than what we would like or what they say, and yeah. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Paris definitely retains its history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that uh, the first couple times that I went there, as an American, I'm like, this to me, this is going to sound very, very crude, because um, I love Paris and it's beautiful and, and, and so such a rich, lush city. This to me feels like I'm walking through Disney World. It feels like everything <laughs> is a facade. And you have to remind yourself, hey, this is, this is thousands of years old. And um, so... Having that, I guess that's probably, a, a, I don't want to say a luxury, but a positive uh, element that you can use hmm. when writing the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that uh, uh, when you were writing it, um, how did you... Um, did you follow the story really, really closely of the actual historical uh, a bit timeline? I mean, I mean, or did well, you the the actual the actual uh, firsthand document um, is not very long. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's in Robert Darnton's book. It's basically uh, someone who was actually a part of it wrote a first firsthand account of what had happened mm-hmm. and. Um, was like you know we we can uh, all of us thought that they were possessed by demons or by or that they were all witches in disguise, and so um, we went rallied a bunch of rallied up a bunch of cats, killed them, hanged them, and had a mock witch trial. And then the master came and saw this, and he was like, uh. Okay, you can have my wife's cat, but just don't tell anyone. And then they basically performed reenactments of this in like Parisian beer halls or something of that nature for years, like decades. They would, as like sort of their cathartic moment of triumph over the bourgeoisie for once in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we, we have strayed from that a little bit, but I mean, like, we've kept a lot of the names. We kept the basic, uh, the basic premise there, you know. Um, we, we changed the name of uh, the mistress's uh, cat from uh, Laclise to Bonbon, but you know, those are, those are, s- some of the those are some of the biggest changes in a way but we've certainly embellished a lot and added some interesting things that definitely did not happen but, um, <laughs> well I would yeah. think that you would have to yes <clears throat> uh, because it, I mean you said it's a short document how long is the document the original it's a document pages yeah uh, two three pages something around there yeah wow <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I am really, really intrigued. I have to tell you, uh, as again someone who loves Paris and having no idea that this ever even occurred, mm. um, most people I, don't. I would assume so. No, 
It's funny. Uh, my girlfriend, uh, when I told her about it, uh, she's pretty much the one person I've ever talked to who was like, oh, yeah, I read that about that in history class. <laughs> it's very strange. But yeah. we, we certainly never heard of it before uh, reading this book. Which, which kind of is like a, a great scenario for writers when you have something that you can base a really interesting quirky show off of that's real and no one's ever heard of it because then you have you have license to do whatever you want with it but still be like it's based on a real event and people go wait what that was real no way and we're like yeah that was real come see our show about it right so, <laughs> you have no idea how many times that that exact exchange has happened yeah. uh, what this is real it's like yeah it was real wow <laughs> wow <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm having one right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, tell us about your experience with Frigid Fest. This is our first time. And it's uh, been a uh, really wonderful experience uh, so far. Uh, we are so happy to uh, be working with them uh, in this production. Uh, I, I think, as, as Casey hinted at earlier, um, we've had uh, readings of this uh, work, uh, several readings of this work, but this is going to be our first um fully realized production. And so uh, we are tremendously excited to uh, put it on, and we're really grateful uh, to the Frigid Festival for uh, allowing it to happen. Yeah, and this is, you know, uh, talking about uh, the kind of show we have, it just, it feels so right in this space. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we did our last reading of it in here on this stage, and, the, the, you know, we, we pulled out these, these wooden chairs that we've got here from the back, and it just, it gave it, the chairs and the, the space and everything we had just gave it that right flavor that it, it really needs. And, and I don't know, it's a, it's a really good space for it. I yeah. yeah. I mean, the Crane Theater uh, is, of course, uh, the home of uh, Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind, um, a very high-energy show um, where basically anything uh, can happen. Um, and so to share the same space as that, I think there's a lot of great energy for our show. Cool. If you want to learn a little bit more about, uh, this is to the audience, about Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind, you can go back and listen to my shows where I've interviewed the New York Neo-Futurists and the Chicago Neo-Futurists. So, mm -hmm. offhand, I don't know what number they are, but you can find them on the website and stuff. So, um, what should our audiences take away from your show, The Great Cat Massacre? Hopefully, side-splitting laughter. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the goal. Yeah. Um, uh, if they left humming one or two of our songs on the way out, I would certainly be very happy. We, we've had a lot of people who, um, and, and this is not to toot our own horns, but we've had a lot of people come up to us and be like, damn it, Greg, damn it, Casey, I can't get that stupid song out of my head. And I'm like, great, that's, that's what we want. You want the earworms. Oh, yeah. I, for we're, sure. We're very earwormy kind of writers. Yes. Good. And we try to you know, push what that can mean. But, uh, yeah. Cool. Well, we're almost out of time, but before we go, please give our audience your social media information for the show. Absolutely. Uh, you can find the great cat master musical on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and Twitter. Probably the easiest way to access those, uh, links as well as find out more about our show is to go to catmassacremusical.com. Uh, it's a website for our show, which will feature, uh, and does feature, uh, cast, uh, and creator bios, uh, ticket information, including, uh, links, uh, to get tickets for the show, as well as some demos, so you can listen to a few of our songs right now. And that's Massacre spelled R-E, not E-R. R-E. Yes. Okay, great. So, sort of like theater R-E. Yeah. Yes. Was that on purpose? Uh, that's that's how it's spelled. Is that how it's, is that how it's spelled in French? I, you I, know, I'm a terrible speller. Massacre. So I, I can't. Uh, massacre is how it's spelled. I don't know how the kids are spelling it these days. Um, but I would I've, have thought ER before, <laughs> before this, and then I would have been like, well, the website doesn't work. <laughs> well, it didn't pick it up on spell check on your interview script here. <laughs> I, I would assume that we're, we're good. Sure. We're covered. Great. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, I... Wish you major broken legs. Thank you so and much. Every other appendage, and it sounds like it's going to be a really fun uh, show. So, audiences, please come see it. Thank you very much, guys, uh, Casey O'Neill and Greg Moss from the Great Cat Massacre for being on your program yeah. as your ticket. We Thank appreciate you for it. having us. Thank you so much, Sean. My pleasure. 
Folks, please welcome to the show Maggie Nuttall from Maggie Nuttall Live from Planet Earth. Hi, Maggie, and welcome to your program as your ticket. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am very glad to be here. Oh, good. I'm glad you're here. Um, uh, are you... Uh, how are things going with producing the show? Well, things are going fine because uh, I did debut this show at another Fringe Festival in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Oh, cool. Uh, that was back in September of last year, and now there have been a number of changes that I'm still working on, and it's going to open here at Under St. Mark's on the 17th at 1230. So. Right in this very theater that right. we're sitting in, right. center stage right now. Right, yes. Wow, well, cool. I'm starting on a Saturday matinee, man. Oh, what? That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's 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 luck. Sometimes the the festivals will have you at like nine thirty, ten o'clock at night, and yeah, it's it could be crazy. But so so to to open the show on a Saturday matinee. Aces. Well, well, what I like about it, since I've already debuted the show in Pennsylvania, I know that there's a, there's people that will be driving into the city to right. come see the show, and there's parking nearby. You can come in, you can see a show, you can see me afterwards if you want, and then you can go shopping, or you can see another show, because this is uh, the Frigid Festival here, the 2018 New York City Frigid Festival. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. Uh, please tell our audiences about your show, Maggie Nuttall, Live from Planet Earth. I love the title. Oh, thank you so much. Um, well, I... Even as a little, well, I don't get people. I just don't. And when I, especially when I was a small child, I didn't understand people. And I found interacting with people to be very frustrating. And uh, the, there are so many things that I just, just didn't get. And... Uh, and it's like I'm, I lived in a house with seven older brothers and sisters and two parents, and I was told repeatedly that we're related, and that was important. And I, I, I start, you know, I start the show. I'm, I'm six years old, and I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm talking about what I want to do ultimately is put people in the mindset of being six years old. And so when I do this, it's more of a storytelling format. So I'm working without a script, and. Um, I, I need to see people. There's the most most stage shows you see that the the, the the comment is always that the light is blinding it's your blinding eyes and you, you can't yeah. see people. Sure. I want to see people. I'm I'm a type of performer that my face gets into your face because I want you. I really want you to be where I'm at, and I want you to know what it's like to be six and want to know what it's like to be frustrated. And it's not just uh, at age six, but as I get older in life and have to interact with people. Like, it doesn't make any kind of sense. Like, in grade school, the girls were really just just fussing over having the purse match the shoes and the barrette and the... Like, what is wrong with you? Well, what were you, you obsessing know, over in grade school? I was obsessing over Star Trek. I mean, the, like, normal people. <laughs> like, I couldn't understand why. Like, why do I have to have the same interests as you? And why is it, you know... And, and, the, th- and the thing is... Even even as a kid, like I, I had a very difficult time speaking, too. So as a child, were you shy? Well, in a large family, at oh. home, my speech was that of a the speed was that of a glacier. Much to the the consternation of my brothers and sisters, because be like they would be pulling and pulling. It's like, what is she saying? What 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 are you talking about? Because they they couldn't because it was so slow in my speech uh, and uh, and and basically I just it, it was it was tough you know and uh, it was a very very noisy house a lot of people and then when I would go out into the world I mean I I was expected at age six to walk a mile to school and I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about uphill both ways. That we're not doing that bullshit. I'm talking like uphill one way and downhill the next. And it would be about a mile to get to school. And at the school, there was a room full of kids that were my age, and they're all wearing the same outfit. And I thought, that's crazy. That's the craziest thing. And I just couldn't understand. Like, why? Why do I have to do this? Why is this so important? And then I would just pee my pants because that's what you do at six. And that's and and the whole the whole process of, of getting older and, and looking at people and, and saying, like, why? And, and the thing is, a lot of times people look at me and it's like, you're crazy all on your own. It's like, no. 
no, no, no. It's like I have a mother. <laughs> My mother had a mind of her own. Uh, and her and her whole whole method was, you know, you have to you can't you can't create a scene. You can't you can't make a scene. You got to be you got to be quiet and you got to you know, she she was she she would send me out for errands all the time. And uh, at the when I was 6, I had to go down this huge hill go to the AP and buy one thing and then come back up and then she would turn around and say oh you got that thing but I forgot about this other thing and then she would send me down again to the this is before the turn of the century when you could send a six year old to the store and get something but she wouldn't just send me one time she would send me five to ten times in one day because she would say, oh, I forgot oh. this other item. Consolidate that stuff. Well, I didn't know consolidation. That's too many syllables. I am. That's too many syllables. I'm saying that to your mom. I know. Maggie's mom, consolidate that stuff. I know. Wow. That, she would do that. Okay. And it would just. You'd like, think with seven kids there would be more efficiency. No. But maybe I was the first scattered. one home. Oh, oh okay. I was the first one home. And she would say, oh, I forgot. The confectioner's sugar. Could you go down the street to get it? And the thing is, it wasn't just a hill, like a small hill. Like a small hill in New York is a forty-five degree angle. We're talking more like you know eighty degree. Like we lived, we lived on a. It was a very serious hill. Like you don't want to make a mistake. Where 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 did you live? Uh, I'm originally from uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, so uh, I was living in Clark Summit for a while, and it's just right out of right outside of Scranton. Wow. And uh, yeah, that's where actually I debuted my show and um and 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 so how long so you started six six years old yeah and then you span to now to, to now yeah and and what are what are you covering from in between six what, what are some of the the well, themes that you're you're introducing well, to the it's audience like, it's like the perception of reality or the you know um i know you know what there's too many syllables there that's just all right i'm already saying words with too many syllables perception of reality oh, yeah the bottom the, the i love it and the thing is it's a comedy okay it's a comedy and um when i talk about when i'm six what it's like living with seven older brothers and sisters, with a cacophony of, you know, the the, the fame, you know, the the wonderful songs of summer, you know, it's like, you took my shoes, get out of the bathroom, you know, I want the keys to the car. I mean, these things, you know, that were rolling around, of of my seven older brothers and sisters, that was that was the background noise. <laughs> just constant yeah and and you know so uh and then as i got older you know it's like it was so important to have sex sex was so important everyone had to have sex it was everyone does it it's so important it was so it was it has to be as advertised and you discussed this in the show yes wow yes as advertised now not age six i'm not six at that point at that point i would yeah i'm i'm i've grown up i'm in i'm in i'm in college right and i go away uh, I go away to visit my sister who's in the Bahamas. She's teaching kindergarten for a year. And I am going to be staying with her for free at the convent that's run by these Dominican nuns. And I don't know if you know this, but the Dominican order of Christianity is a sect uh, that the rest of us use as divining rods to find all the alcohol on the island. And I'm armed with this information before my suitcase hits the ground. <laughs> I'm wondering where the sex is coming in with the Dominican nuns. Oh, <laughs> well, well, then that's the, I, then you have to come to the show because I'm like, you know, the the. We don't want too many spoilers. No, I don't want to spoil it. No, that's no, no, the no. thing. That's the thing. I don't want to spoil it. You know, it's like it's like as a six year old, I was told that you can't hit people because it's not socially acceptable. But it's hard to walk around. I mean, even as adults today, it's very hard to walk around not wanting to hit someone. Mm-hmm. It can be a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. And then you have to explain that to a as an adult. You have to explain that to a six year old kids. You can't do that. Wow. Yeah. So so you're you're working with the audience throughout I'm working, the show. I'm working with the audience throughout the show. I'm not. I don't. I don't expect the audience to talk back. I'm. I'm. I'm having this. I'm having this conversation. And I'm. <laughs> But you're, yeah. but you're connecting with. Them. I'm connecting with them because that's 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 the way that that's the way I work. I, I just I I have to look at the people because I, I I can't I can't not 
do that anymore. I think yeah. that's great. I think that one of the things that you can that's that's really smart to do um, in any kind of media is um, creating a psychology with your audience. It's like uh, the, the best way I can I can describe it is. Are you familiar with the the movie Slumdog Millionaire? Mm-hmm. Okay, in that movie, I I, rec- I realized after it ended that I was always afraid that somebody was going to happen to something was going to happen to somebody, and I realized that filmmaker created a mindset within me and made me think a certain way through through the entire through the entire film and i love that when that happens in movies and i'm thinking that's what's happening in your show because you said earlier that you want the audience to feel what you're feeling yes you want them to have the empathy so you're one of your goals is major connection with them. Yes. With, I would assume, primarily eye contact and direct speaking. Yeah, well, I'm not going to run out and touch them. I'm not, that, 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 that's, that's, that's not the kind of show. Uh, but um, I have, perform, I have uh, performed at uh, several moth story slams. Because uh, I started out as an actor in the, when I came to New York, and now um, I've been telling stories. So the whole mindset for me is very different. As an actor, you don't necessarily want to see the audience. But as a storyteller, you do. Oh, sure. You it's an, it's a totally different thing, and um, like the different venues in town, like the Bell House or um, uh, the uh, Housing Works, and, and so on. They they they're lit in such a way that you can see the audience, right. and that makes a huge difference to me. So that's why for for this show, even though it is in a theater, I'm saying it so I can see people. I think also people because I've I've interviewed I interviewed Asher Novak from Speak Up Rise Up and he's he that's a storytelling festival yeah. which you probably know um, and it the key is making it look easy and look natural but there is a lot of uh, precision work going on mm-hmm. that the audience isn't aware of uh, is that how you. Do you find that? Yeah, there that's is, just an observation I made. Yeah, well, there is there is some precision, but there's also um, you know there's a sense of surprise. And this is part of the reason why you know it's like oh I have to when I did a snapshot here, I didn't do a snapshot from my show because it, it just it just so happened that they gave me twelve minutes and I wasn't going to do twelve minutes of my show. So what I did was I told a story that so it was, see people could see my style. Of telling a story, right? Yeah, and it's like I also have um, videos on YouTube uh, that that you know if people want to see them, they're there, so you can get an idea of, of what style I have. I'm going to ask you your yeah. social media information at the end of the in, yeah. at the end of the interview. Uh-huh. Make sure you give that out. Yes, as well. Um, I am. I'm really fascinated by this. I think it's cool, and I've I've done. I think I've done something like 12, 14 interviews so far uh, with the the teams here that are in the show. And this is everyone has got such a, a different concept going on. And this is the first I've heard so far of all the interviews of someone who is who is having telling such intimate stories directly from their life. Is it? Does that do anything to your psyche when you're on stage and you're talking about that? Do you have to separate yourself a little bit from it to make sure you're retaining stage control? Uh, actually, no, because the thing is, these stories are old. Like, you know, six was a long time ago. And then I have stories, uh, you know, there are some stories from just a couple of years ago. So there's enough distance that I can, I, I have no problem with it. And not only that, this is a comedy. So this isn't, this isn't about, you know, being miserable or, yeah. or you know, oh, woe is me. It's just more like... Know what it's like to be sex, right. <laughs> and how we look at the world. Do you have any idea how huge you are to a six-year-old? Right. That sort of thing, and um, and you know, and and the thing is, what what makes it interesting for me is that since these are all true stories, I'm not working with a script. I just kind of have a bullet point uh, thing, and it's it's so simple when it comes to lighting and everything because I, I really keep it down to the bare bones. Uh, so the lighting person will just love. I hope will love me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my my tech rehearsal is on Tuesday, so so that's going to be. Yeah. yeah. Lights up, lights down, or. Uh, well, they can follow me around. Some people do. Some people just because uh, I use a microphone, and part of the reason why I use a microphone is because sometimes I will use the voice, the vocal level that you can hear, mm-hmm. and then sometimes I won't. So that's why yeah. I want to use them. And sometimes I have to step away from the mic because um, I'm just going to be screaming in frustration. And that, uh, a lot of that is more um, spontaneous. 
right. more it's more of a spontaneous. But at thing. least you have an awareness of that. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's 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 great. So, um, what do you want your audiences to leave with? Mentally, emotionally, uh, when when they leave Maggie Nuttall live from Planet Earth. Well, I want them to leave with uh, a good good belly laugh, a lot of laughs, because I I really I really want to have a good time. This is a lot of humor. Sure. And um, also, it's nice to say, yeah, I I did that or my mom did that I mean that sort of identification so that's what I would like them to leave with it's just very it's it's very simple but I guess I'm explaining it in a very complicated way (laughs) no no I mean I'm I'm totally getting it and I think our uh, my audiences will will totally get it as well Um, it's it's I just I I know that uh, for me it would be really. I'm, I'm not an actor uh, or a storyteller, but for me, it would be really difficult to get up there and sort of bear my soul, um, even if it's just the funny parts of my life, um, and and still maintain the the mastery of the stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Still be very very aware of of what's going on on stage and and being in control. Um, it, so that's uh, that's what's so intriguing to me. That's that's what I would want to watch uh, in your show. I bet you're really good at it. Oh, thanks. Well, you can you can come check me out at uh, at at the 2018 in New York Frigid Festival, and I do uh, have videos online, uh, but I'm better live. I'm better. I'm, I'm better live. <laughs> well, why don't you tell our audience uh, here at your program is your ticket, your social media information. Okay. For the show. <laughs> okay. Uh, my social media information. I have a. Um, I have a YouTube, and it's you just Google Maggie Nuttall. Just go into YouTube and put in Maggie Nuttall. M a g g i e n u t t a l l in the search bar, and my stuff comes up. And uh, on. Uh, in, on Facebook, I'm also there as well. So I haven't I haven't gotten yet to combine everything to have a website like a lot of other people. I'm 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 working on that, but that that's where you can find find my stuff. Great. Yeah. Also, I will also have stuff. Oh, my show is also listed on uh, Horse Trade Theater, so it's Horse Trade dot info. Uh, you will find uh, my show there. You go under Frigid and you scroll down and you will see Maggie Not All live from planet earth and there's a picture of me screaming into a microphone <laughs> i know i saw it on the on the uh, postcard you gave me yeah 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 i, I love it it's great that's well, great art well the the Smart. Thing, jake thomas is wonderful uh as a as a um uh, a graphic designer and when I was explaining to him that basically what I wanted was a cross between cartoon and anime and it's a picture of me with like blue hair with a microphone stand, you know uh, standing on earth and hurtling through space screaming you know because that's basically what it is that's basically what's happening that's basically what's happening for everyone now sure we're just hurtling through space screaming our heads off <laughs> well on that note <laughs> Knock him, Dad. Thank you. Uh, and and break legs and what what an, what an exciting uh, concept and uh, I'm going to do my absolute very best to come and see it. I am. Oh, I've got a couple of matinees. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then my last show it's was good for a 52 year old guy like me. I love the matinees. I know. That's where I'm at. So yeah, um, uh, my show is on the uh, 17th and the uh, 18th. And the 26th and March 1st and March 4th. That's when I'm closing. And uh, yeah, I've got I got early shows because then you can get here when the trains are working. And even if it's a snowstorm, you'll still be able to get in and you'll be able to get out at a reasonable time. You won't get stuck in the subway. Excellent. I'm very concerned about the welfare of the audiences that come here. Yes, that's, I am. That's important. That's a very, very that's smart. Yes. It's very very smart. You never know what you're competing with. With it could be weather, it could be TV, it could be movies. It's it's all things to consider. But don't worry about any of that. Just just enjoy yourself. Have fun. Uh, have a great time. I've I've been absolutely charmed by you, and it's been. An absolute delight to have you on the show. I thank you. Oh, thank you, Maggie Nuttall, 
from Maggie Nuttall, live from planet Earth, for being on your program as your ticket. I thank you. Folks, please welcome to the show the team from Mad Cool. Hi, gang, and welcome to your program as your ticket. Hello. Hi. I'm doing great. Thank you for being on the show. Um, I'm, I'm very intrigued as to what Mad Cool is about. So we have a team here of four people, so let's start here on the left, and if you could just go around the semicircle and tell us your name and your function in the show. I'm Scott Cottle. I'm the executive producer of the show. My name is Charles Hayes IV, and I'm the producer of the show. I am Diane Chen. I'm directing this show. And I'm Gerard James. I'm one of the actors. Excellent. Okay. We did it. Are we done? (laughs) No, no, no. Not quite. Almost. Uh, Please tell our audience about Mad Cool. Who wants to... Okay, I'll go first. Um, So Mad Cool is a two-character, one-act play about interracial dating and the effects of it um, kind of in the process of gentrification. Um, We have an interracial couple, Tina and Daniel, and they move into a gentrifying neighborhood in Brooklyn and on the hottest day of the year, and they don't have any air conditioning. And you kind of see their relationship come together and fall apart in this move-in day and moment. Um, And you start to see a lot of their truths about themselves, about their race, about their cultures get exposed and you look at how that fares for their relationship and what they can do to continue on as a couple or to step away from each other. Then there's a plot twist. <laughs> you don't want to tell the plot twist, do we you? Will not no. tell the plot twist. Okay, no, that, that would be a spoiler. We don't to, but but it's it's great twisty. to anticipate that. It's twisty. Yeah. Yes. Grisly um, accident. Oh yeah. yeah. Who who came up with that idea? For, for that play or the show? Uh, certainly it would have been our co-writers, um, Iowa Devery and Nick Parker, who are a great duo that have known each other for a very, very long time. And I believe that the idea sort of came very organically for them. They were both having a discussion about <clears throat> being millennials and being active gentrifiers. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't think about what that looks like when you're moving into a new city and you need to find a place to live that you can afford or you need to find a neighborhood that's going to be, you know, okay for your environment or whatever you're doing inside of this city. And they wanted to write about it because people don't talk about it. It's just something that's happening. And you see it happening and you're like, oh, well, look at all these new people in my neighborhood, quote unquote. But then you don't know who they are or why they're there. Wow. They also yeah. obviously got experience with interracial dating. Um, I think once the intersectionality of race comes into your personal, intimate relationship and your romance, um, things can get very complicated very quickly. Indeed. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, have you really done a lot of table work with the show to explore all of the various themes and messages? Uh, obviously, we don't want to do big messages in theater, but they're there, and I think that they should be there. What's, yeah. what's that been like? Yes, we definitely did start off with some really heavy-duty table work, and I think that... Um, I don't, I'm also an actor, so sometimes I find myself torn between whether or not I just want to put my actors when I'm directing, whether or not I just want to put them on their feet and find things. But I think that this play in particular, along with these um, specific actors, I think the table work was necessary. I think every time we... Uh, we've done this play before. We um, were privileged enough to have a reading of it at Corkscrew Theater Festival this past summer with two different actors, and I think that... Um, this play in particular really lends itself to having the actors bring in their personal experiences, mm. um, especially because they're playing two people in a relationship. Whether or not they've been in an interracial relationship themselves um, is obviously very important. So, yes, we did do a lot of table work, and the table work is also always evolving. Um, yeah, for sure. Sure. Because, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yes, I did find it necessary to do a lot of table work, and I think that it has been very beneficial. How has the play changed, if at all, between when you did it at Corkscrew and this particular production? I would say that it's a bit more mindful of those little 
quirks inside of a relationship. You kind of see the love that Tina and Daniel have for each other a bit more, but it's also a bit more aware of their racially charged conversations, what those look like, how would you respond to your girlfriend if she is having an issue and you are the majority and you're not sure whether you're supposed to, you know, coddle and comfort her or to have a real dialogue and discussion about what it looks like in society. So I would say that it's it's been fine-tuned, it's been tweaked. Um, Frigid also only allows you to have 60 minutes on stage, so mm-hmm. it's been edited to really get the point across in that time span, but I think that there's a lot that is still there and we could dig more into if we had the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, the hour-long was a was an interesting challenge for us. Uh, Nick and Io rose to the occasion brilliantly, I think, but I do like to say that this version of Mad Cool is the Frigid Festival version. Okay, um, We have had to think about what we want to keep and what really lends itself to our bigger themes for this theme, I think, for this festival, um, just in terms of staging and whatnot. But yeah. I think that we, we really... It's like an acoustic version almost. We've really stripped it down to... The, the thematic stuff between the two characters that's really interesting. Great. Uh, did the changes that you made uh, when it came to the content of the show, did you make them based upon feedback that you got from audiences at Corkscrew? Um, or did the writers... I would say it was a mixture of both. Okay. Um, so a lot of the table work went in that we did <clears throat> was done leading up to Corkscrew so that we could work with the actors and get real-life opinions on what they thought their characters would portray or embody or what that looked like. And then following the Corkscrew Festival, we got, talked to different audience members and got their opinions and their feedback on the material. And a lot of them really enjoyed it and felt like it was something that others should see. But I think that being the director and the producer of it, you kind of get to know those little nuances that other people don't pay attention to and you notice like, oh, well, this could land better or this line might be better substituted for this thing and let's make sure that we're really hitting home this point here and kind of really orchestrating a better, more succinct version of the play. It's it's interesting because I'm, I'm a writer myself and it feels like there are a million decisions when you start the project. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, as you make those millions and millions and millions of decisions and they're small decisions you get down to each excuse me each rehearsal has one or two decisions but they're huge Mm -hmm. and they can really shift the story Mm -hmm. for sure big time so i'm sure you're experiencing a little bit of that as well um how are rehearsals going right now what are they like sure they're going yeah no they're, they're going well i uh i play officer mcroy and I'm one of the two cops. My uh, the other actor uh, plays my partner, Officer Davis, who comes in after the thing that happens. <laughs> All right, the plot twist. Uh, yes, I love it. And suspense. I love it. <laughs> and it's what's interesting is trying to keeping keeping what we're trying to do I'm being very secretive now, yeah, keeping, right. what, <laughs> keeping what we're trying to do very grounded but at the same time allow those funny moments to hit and it is a dark comedy yeah yeah and that's one of the things that I love about this play is that the writing is so good because it has those elements of like almost those microaggressions of race relations especially between a couple you know, tensions are rising high, but then it always goes back to something comedic. Mm-hmm. And so finding that as, you know, only, you know, coming in towards the end of the play, finding those moments yet at the same time, keeping our intentions grounded on why we're there has been, has been really, really, really fun. Mm-hmm. I had one so, of the yeah. rehearsals, Diane was trying to explain a concept and, and she she just hung her head and she and she just said, "Racism sucks." <laughs> <laughs> I'm very verbose and I'm very um, no, yeah. and it, it it drove that point home. It's a, it's a terrible social concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's something that we come in contact with every day, right. um, and in different ways, positive and negative. But I think Mad Cool allows you to see the idea or this you know huge bully of racism inside of a couple and. You want to cheer for one of them, and you want to, you know, root for the yeah. other, and like you have these 
ongoing bittersweet feelings with both of them, but you see their love come out in the comedy and in their interactions with each other and in moving into this you know, new environment in this new space. Uh, is is there a power struggle going on at any point uh, with the couple during the course of the play? Uh, well, I think inherently because it is an interracial couple, there there is a power dynamic there that we always have to be conscious of. It's um, Is it shifting a lot back and forth between the two characters? Yeah, it does. It does shift a lot. I think that um, Tina and Daniel are both very... Uh, they're they're relatively self-aware people, and they um, you know they consider themselves to be very woke and to be very educated on these issues. Um, that doesn't stop them from having issues when it comes to play in, in an intimate personal relationship. You know, it's easy to talk about microaggressions. It's easy to with friends. Or yes, with friends. Yeah. and then the moment yeah. it it happens to you, then it's completely different. It's personal. It's it, you 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 start to try to logic yourself out of it, or you start to try to find excuses, or you start to you know project and and all this stuff. And I think it's um it's really apparent in this is in this version in the script um, what those struggles constantly are for Tina and Daniel, um, and that is that it is just an added layer that's unique to something like an interracial relationship. Uh, are are the forgiving of each other throughout the show? Do they continuously have to say okay, I'm, I might yes. be offended by that, but I love you, yes. so I'm going to forgive you as long as you learn. Mm-hmm. Do, do, is that a theme yeah. as well? I think that's definitely one of definitely. the essences of yeah. the play and of their relationship. You know, if as Diane stated, if you are having this like objective, you know, logical conversation with someone, it's great. But then once it really affects you, your emotions get involved and you start to play on that. I love you, but this mm-hmm. is what this looks like. And I'm going to be here with you, you know, in you figuring it out. But this is what this looks like for me and for my culture and for my background. And we have to get to an understanding of uh, this is how we operate with each other. And if there is some issue with that, then I think you start to really look at the relationship because you're like, you know, Daniel, no one really knows themselves 100% at any given point. They're always learning more. And I think that Tina and Daniel give each other the space to learn more, but you're still getting that opportunity through these difficult conversations. There are also other intersections at play. Yeah. There's, you know, there's um, the questions of financial privilege Mm. come to light. The questions of, you know, um, yeah. Guilt and, uh, you know, social justice and what, you know, allyship and what that looks like and Mm -hmm. who, uh, you know, who can be an ally and who can't. And it, it kind of it sounds like a lot that is inside of this, but the way that it's finessed inside of the content and in the words, it's really, it's done really well. And I think it's very eloquent in the way that it's expressed. And you start, you see a real life portrayal of what an interracial couple can look like, you know, happy and sad. It's not always going to be good, but we're going to get through those bad times. Right. Um, it's, it, it feels like there's an unfair layer of struggle that, um, which, I don't. I personally don't. I'm frustrated that we are still dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Um, that that an interracial couple has to to handle mm-hmm. and get through. Um, is it? Have any of you become frustrated over the fact that socially we still have to talk about this? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. You know, there, there there are there are things that I'm very aware of that trigger me, mm-hmm. right? And if you are in a relationship with someone that you love, it's like you have something that affects you and there's an immediate response to it, but then you have to, you know, it gets messy because then you're Put like... Filters on it. Yeah, because then you're, filters, then, you know, in yeah. life, I filter. Mm-hmm. In life, you know, as a, as a person of color, as a man, I'll say as a man of color, I filter and then... You know, you look at Tina and she's a black woman. Like, mm-hmm. she has to, how much she has to filter in her daily life sure. to get through the day versus coming home, not wanting to filter at home. Right. You know? And comfortable and safe. But right. She comes but home then, to a white man. Right. But she comes home to a white man. So then it's like, how do you mm-hmm. allow your triggers to happen? Explain how you're feeling. Give someone the room and the space to change. 
let them apologize and be patient while they change. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to do. Going. Yeah. You know, that's a lot to do added on to just being in a relationship. Just being in a relationship. <laughs> yeah. right. Just liking or loving the other person. Exactly. So that's, you know, it, it gets frustrating when you see things socially and you realize how much they impact your life and you realize how much you want to improve and change as a person, but you struggle because of what's mm-hmm. going on. Uh, I once read, I wish I could take credit for this, but I, I can't. <laughs> I once read that uh, the best theater will entertain, educate, and edify the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like that's what you're doing with this piece. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's got comedy, so it's, 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 it's funny. Mm-hmm. Dark comedy, albeit, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're, you're showing them an example of something that we shouldn't have to deal with anymore but is still prevalent and um, is is important for people to see and by doing that they're leaving I would assume uplifted a little bit is there is there hope in the piece uh, I like to call it a, reinvig- a reinvigorated mindset about these issues. I love that. You should trademark that right away. That's a great phrase. You heard it here first. Right, exactly. Um, because, I mean, we're all people, and, uh, you know, we can learn and we can witness theater and art, and we always hope that art will change you in some way or make you think about something differently. Indeed. So, in coming into this, it's about opening up that conversation and making everyone feel comfortable having that conversation. Mm. No one's ever going to be 100% okay talking about their triggers or talking about what it's like for them to live their life inside of this culture or inside of this society. But if everyone is willing to hear everyone's thoughts and opinions or their experiences, which I think are a bit more important, then you can get a better idea of what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. And maybe you are a bit more thoughtful in your interactions with people or in your conversations or, you know, hiring people for jobs and things like that. Like all of that comes up and is a part of that process. And if people can walk away knowing like, all right, interracial dating is not easy peasy just mm-hmm. because someone is white or just because someone is the majority. You don't you get know? bonus points. You don't get either. bonus yeah. points for that. It's just another layer of difficulty, honestly, added to the situation, especially given your family background. Maybe your family isn't okay with interracial dating. Maybe on both sides it's a problem or you don't live up to this wealth standard that someone else wants you to, but love is love and love, I tend, I like to think, always kind of transcends everything and that's what you see inside of Tina and Daniel's relationship. They love each other and they're always going to be there for each other even through this difficult society or grisly accident or whatever the case may be. Also specifically, I mean, this is this is one relationship between one white man and one black woman. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm personally in an interracial relationship, but not involving any of those people. Yeah. So right. <laughs> it's... Uh, Interracial dating is also, you know, got its faces. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it has many faces, it's not but term. with that comes those different, unique yeah. qualities with each race or class or religious sector or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I am de- very definitely intrigued, and by more than just a plot twist. That's a surprise plot. It, it sounds like uh, waiting for it, um, yeah. a wonderful production. Uh, we're almost out of time, but before we go, can you please give our audience uh, the social media information for the show? It helps if you have one main address that they can go to and connect with all your other for sure. components as well. Um, the website is madcoolonstage.com, um, just the title, at onstage. The Twitter and Instagram are madcoolonstage as well, and we also have a Facebook page called madcool. So, reach out. Buy tickets. Buy tickets. Yes, Yes. buy tickets. Support, absolutely. Uh, Well, this has been awesome. I've loved talking to all four of you. Uh, I wish you many broken appendages for for your show. Thank Uh, you. Keep up the great work, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure to the team from Mad Cool. Yay! Yay! Weren't they awesome? Great interviews, and I just know you're going to enjoy their shows, so go see them. You can find information and tickets to all the 2018 Frigid Festival shows at www.horsetrade.info. Again, that's www.horsetrade.info. 
Once again, I'd like to thank my guests, Casey O'Neill and Greg Moss from The Great Cat Massacre, Maggie Nuttall from Maggie Nuttall Live from Planet Earth and Scott Cuddell, Charles Hayes IV, Diane Chen, and Gerard James from Mad Cool. You can find more episodes of Your Program Is Your Ticket at Facebook.com, Your Program Is Your Ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at Program Ticket. The website is YourProgramIsYourTicket.com. I'm also on YouTube. Search me out at Your Program Is Your Ticket. And I'm on iTunes and SoundCloud. Rate me and write me a review and subscribe. It helps to uh, my profile, and I appreciate it. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's lots of theater gems out there. And until our next show, good night, theater people, and curtain. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.